it's good to see you. You faces I haven't seen in a while. I'm really excited to see all of you. Um, so, as you know, today is another one of the Life Changing Scriptures series. And I was going to give it a plug and like say, if you want to do it, speak to John, but he's not here. But you can still speak to one of us if you want to do it. So, um, I'll be just sharing a bit of a devotion, something that I've um, it's been on my mind as I've been going through my own Bible reading. And then we're going to go into discussions and dig into it. Um, so... If you saw on our social media, I called it Godly Decision Making, which I thought was kind of a lame title. And it's also kind of a bait because um, what I'm going through is um, a bit of Saul and how he makes really bad decisions. So, you know, but we'll get into it um, before we do. Let's pray, though. Dear God, I thank you for this time that we have um, to come and hear from you and um, to learn from you and each other. Lord, I pray that you would just... Um, be with us tonight. I pray that um, it would be your words that are spoken and that you would just open our hearts to hear from you. It's in your name. Amen. Okay, so um, in my Bible reading, I've been going through um, 1 Samuel and there was a few chapters that I saw and I was, it was going through Saul and a few things that he was doing as he was king. And I was just like, man, this guy's really, he's not doing it, <laughs> he's not doing it right. So um, we're going to go through it and see how he makes some uh, decisions that are not quite right and um, see how we can learn from them. So I'm going to go through three of his things. We'll do a bit of reading and, yeah, we'll get into it. So um, the first reading is in First Samuel 13, um, starting verse 8. And the context behind this is that um, the Israelites, Jonathan had told them, oh, let's go and attack the Philistines, and they did. And the Philistines now are preparing a counterattack and the Israelites get scared and they're hiding away. Um, and so now they're waiting for um, Saul to tell them what to do, and Saul is waiting on God to tell him what to do through Samuel. Okay, so we pick up in verse 8. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, uh, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favour of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So pretty serious consequences here. Um, and as I read it, I was like, wow, Saul did a really good job of explaining why he did what he did. And it seemed pretty good, you know. Um, it was like a pretty well thought out decision. The people were scattering and he didn't want to go out and fight the Philistines without seeking the favour of the Lord. Like how good does that sound? Like he wanted to have God on his side. But the way that he did it was wrong. He, he was not supposed to do the offering. That wasn't his responsibility and that was wrong. And what I see here is Saul's impatience, Okay. So he had an expected timeline of how he thought it was going to go down. And as soon as it didn't match up, he thought, I'm going to take this into my own hands. Um, and it wasn't a lack of 
wanting God's insight into the decision, it was an unwillingness to wait for it. Uh, and it came with pretty serious consequences because he just said, all right, well, God's not going to continue to establish your kingdom. Um, so that impatience really resonated with me because there have been times in my life where I've set God deadlines and I've said, I want an answer about this, like, in a week or in a month. And if you don't answer me, like, I'm just going to do what I want. Or, like, I'll, I don't know, force a decision. And that is not the right thing to do. So, um, yeah, I, I think the, the question that, you know, um, I'd ask myself is, like, am I giving God the time and space to speak into my decisions or am I just rushing through them? Mm-hmm. So, impatience. All right, next one um, is in First Samuel 14 and we'll jump a little bit around. The context for this, again, it's not very exciting. They kind of, Israelites just do the same thing over and over. Jonathan is leading a strike on the Philistines, again, um, and they're doing a pretty good job. They're defeating the Philistines. Um, but to bring it home, Saul's like, all right, let's do a fast until the battle is over. So we're going to do First Samuel 14, starting in verse 24. Uh, and the men of Israel had been hard pressed that day. So Saul had laid an oath on the people saying, cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening. And I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest... Wait, I just read that. Um, the honey... Yeah, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father's char- father charge the people with the oath. So he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Okay, so... Um, he eats against the oath. Um, and then after that, Saul's trying to ask God if they should continue to pursue the Philistines. And God's not really answering Saul um, because he had led his people into sin. So after, um, after Jonathan had eaten the honey and his eyes became bright, he like invited everybody to eat with him. And um, they were so hungry from the fast that they ate the meat with the blood in it, which is like absolutely no, no big sin. So um, God had seen the sin and he wasn't talking to Saul. And so Saul said in verse 38, and Saul said, come here, all you leaders of the people and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. So Saul's trying to figure out who did this sin. Like we're going to figure it out. They cast lots and um, they figure out that it was Jonathan who disobeyed the oath. And in verse 43, Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. And Saul said, God, do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Um, Then the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who has worked at this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Okay, so again, on outward appearance, Saul's decision appears to be a wise and spiritual one. He wanted to fast um, so that they could win the battle. Um, and he even was willing to like go to whatever length it takes to um, commit to that oath. And uh, even if it meant like personal loss and he would lose his son. You know, that sounds pretty noble that he would, like, sacrifice that for the oath that he made. But again, it was the wrong call. Um, First of all, the oath was 
pretty silly because it wasn't conducive to the battle. They were all hungry, and um, as soon as uh, Jonathan had eaten from the honey, his eyes brightened, and he was able to do the battle a lot better. So wrong call on that part. And um, as well, it was sort of just a thing of kind of like a Pharisee, Saul just trying to tick a box, let's do this oath um, to try and get God's favour on his side. Um, But I think at the heart of this was Saul's pride. So that's the second point. Um, He thought he knew what the right thing was and he wouldn't back down even when it was shown to him that this is not the right way. Like you, you made the wrong call and he wouldn't be shown otherwise. He was convinced he was doing the right thing. Um, and this one really resonated with me. I think we talked a few weeks about pride and how that can really affect the way that you see things. And I personally really struggled with this. And, you know, growing up in a Christian family, you feel like you know what the right thing to do is. And you know it so much that you won't even seek God's, like, insight into your decision anymore because you think you know what the right thing is. You think that um, you're honouring God, and you, but you won't even let him speak into your decisions. Um, and it can even, you know, get so bad that, like, you're so stubborn in your pride and in what you think is right that you won't let God redirect you. And that's a, a prideful and a stubborn heart, which is what we see in Saul here. Okay, so the last one, First Samuel 15. And these are literally back-to-back chapters. Saul is really just not hitting the spot here. So um, we'll jump around a little bit as well. So um, the context of this is... Um, the Israelites are fighting a new um, people this time. It's the Amalekites. And the reason that they're doing this, doing this is God wants to seek vengeance for the Israelites um, because the Amalekites had gotten in their way on their way out of Egypt. Um, and so God's like, all right, like we're going to battle the Amalekites. So um, starting from verse 3, Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And in verse 7, And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag the king of the Amalekites alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. And in verse 13, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Okay, so um, we're sort of building a pattern here. There's the right thing to do, and then there's what seems to be the right thing to do, and Saul's just constantly picking that one. Um, so God had made it extremely clear how they were supposed to attack the Amalekites, destroy everything, don't leave a single thing. Um, but Saul thought he knew better. Um, and he, I don't know if this is true even, or if this is just the excuse that he come up, he came up with to tell Samuel, but he said, oh, we were going to sacrifice it to God. We saved all the best things. And that clearly shows how Saul did not understand the heart of God. Later down in verse 22, it says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. 
So ultimately here, Saul made himself the judge of what he thought was good and what he thought was worthless, and he let greed get the better of him. So that's the, that's the third thing, it was greed. Um, and this might be a little bit hard to see in, in our lives, but what struck me here was um, a lot of the times when I'm asking God to um, speak into my life and speak into a decision, I get worried that I'm miss- going to be missing out on something good. You know, like you're asking him for something, but you obviously have a preference and you're worried that he's going to take that away from you. And here Saul doesn't let God um, speak into that. Um, Yeah, and we can rely on our own perspectives and our own outlook. We decide what's good and what's not, even though we're asking God to do the same. So we're putting ourselves in, in God's position, even though we're asking him. All right, so those are the three things. First one, impatience. Second one, pride. Third one, greed. Okay. Um, so the reason that this has been on my heart a lot is because I feel like we talk about letting God into the decisions of your life, big and small and everything like that, um, but I really struggle to do this when it comes down to it. Um, you know, like I want to be the one that's doing the thinking and it's, you know, really easy to, like there's so many ways that we can figure out how to make the right decision, you know, we can make pros and cons lists, we can use our logic, we can use our gut instinct and... Um, you know, God has given us all these things, but then we can edge God out of the decisions a lot. And it it's happens in so many parts of your lives, whether it's relationships, career, studies, even ministry, and you can think that you're doing the right thing, but you're not really letting God into um, your decision. So recently, I've been pretty bogged down about um, a few decisions in my life and about my future. I'm sort of seeing it on, like, what... Am I going to do? What specialty am I going to pursue? Like, where am I going to be? What's my life going to look like? And I feel like I have to make these decisions. Um, But I'm trying to think, like, how am I going to make this decision? And there's so many ways for me to think I'm doing the right decision. I'll just ask lots of people. um, And I can even come to a conclusion that feels like I'm honouring God. But ultimately, I've just been looking at myself and the world um, for validation of my decisions um, and what that ultimately means is that I think I understand my life better than God which is absolutely ridiculous um, and like Saul I can be trying to be the king over my own life um, but so none of those decisions that come out of that are going to give me peace if I'm not letting God into them and I'm trying to sort of learn to lean on him and not you know do the ticking boxes and pros and cons list. Um, So as I was, you know, reflecting on this, I've sort of been realising that it's actually comforting to know that um, I have God who's the creator of the universe and who's my father to help me with these decisions. Um, But that's what I want to dig into now. So that was the not godly decision-making part of this. And um, I want to break out into discussion groups now and talk a little bit about how we can... Work, like no goal of decision making. So I have a few discussion questions. Um, so we can talk about which of those barriers to goal of decision making you guys relate to and talk about that, impatience, pride, greed. Um, and then the other ones that I really would like to dig into, how do you know when a decision is from God and how can you practically let God into the big and small decisions of your life? Um, so we can break out into groups of four, five and, yeah. Dig into that. Is that good? Do you want me to read the questions again? 
Okay, so number one, um, which of those barriers to godly decision-making do you struggle with? Um, so they were impatience, pride, and greed. Number two, how do you know when a decision is from God? And number three, how can you practically let God into the big and small decisions of your life?